With the compassionate look of a man who had seen much too much pain, Dr. Walter Mitty, the surgical genius, entered the breathless hush of the operating room, the sound of the huge anesthetizing machine going to pocket, to pocket, to pocket, to pocket. Beautiful things don't ask for attention. When are you gonna take it? Sometimes I don't. If I like a moment, I mean me, personally, I don't like to have the distraction of the camera. I just want to stay in it. Right here. Well, welcome back, everybody, to Take Me to You, Reader, discussing adapted science fiction at its best and worst. I'm Seth. I'm James. And I'm Colin. And we want to wish everybody a Merry Christmas, as this is our Christmas 2016 episode. And, of course, we have done Christmas episodes a couple times already. The first time, we stretched the definition of science fiction just a bit by covering Dickens' A Christmas Carol. Although it wasn't that much stretching, was it, guys? No. Time eh, travel There was time traveling-ish. Yeah. Yeah. Totally science fiction. If you're curious about the discussion, you can go back to our 2014 episode and listen to it. Good call. And then in 2015, we stretched the definition of science fiction quite a bit, and also stretched the definition of Christmas movies a little bit by covering <laughs> Die Hard. Had uh, Christmas what in James it. Says. Yeah, true. It was set at Christmas. Right. Um, so the long and the short of it is that this year we're pretty much conceding that the title we're covering is neither science fiction nor a Christmas movie. But there is a tie-in. Um, we're going to be talking today about one of my favorite movies from childhood, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, which is the 1947 Danny Kay film which was adapted from a 1939 James Thurber short story of the same name. And there was a remake that came out in 2013, starring and directed by Ben Stiller. And it came out on Christmas Day, and I saw it with my family. So, there you have it. There's the tie-in. Yeah. It's, it's a pretty tenuous one, but uh, we're going with it, because what, what, what's the, uh, the statement, Colin? Uh, it's Seth's Podcast, Seth's Rules. Oh, okay. So you're not even owning any of this. I get it. <laughs> if you need me, I'll be the one wearing a bus. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So this is one that, as I said, I have quite a bit of experience with, but I, uh, I wanted to find out from you guys, what, what is your experience or kind of uh, cultural knowledge of The Secret Life of Walter Mitty at all prior to this movie? James, you want to go first? Oh, sure. I was going to say none prior to you forcing me to watch it last year. That's right. We, we made you watch it at our house, right? <laughs> That's right. Yep. Yeah. So we watched the uh, new one, though, the, the 2013 film, I guess. Yeah. Yep. And I did actually, because, you know, the story only takes like five minutes to read. So I read it before we watched it. Oh, the first time? Back then. Yeah. 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 The first oh, okay. time. Yeah. Nice. What about you, Colin? I think I think you loaned me the 2013 movie to watch. And that was yes. my, my first uh, direct experience with any of the three. Uh, but we've okay. all seen the Christmas story, uh, a Christmas story, uh, which is very, very similar in vain about you know a young person or a middle-aged person daydreaming. And uh, you know Warner Brothers cartoons sure. ran a series of of cartoons uh, about a young kid named Ralphie daydreaming. Now maybe that's more tied into a Christmas story than it is to Walter yeah. Mitty, but you know same basic premise. Yeah. Well, and that one was under consideration for, for us doing a Christmas episode. It just, the the problem ended up being we're, we're a little short on time. So this is a little behind the curtain here. Um, we're not recording this at Christmas time. We're recording this early because James is going to be pretty much gone from the middle of November through Christmas. And so we needed to come up with something that we could do 
on the quick. And the short story is truly short. It's, you know, four or five pages. And watching a couple movies isn't too hard to do. But to read, you know, a full-ish length book like A Christmas Story, we thought maybe that would be uh, too much to try and do. And and we we basically left it in James's hands. So really, if you want to blame anybody for us not doing a Christmas story, it's James. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> How does that bus feel, buddy? Yes, you. I now passed you my bus. No splat, <laughs> thump thump. Yeah. Um. Well, does anybody want to tackle the story? Well, it's only four or five pages. We should. Right. Uh, <laughs> we shouldn't be that hard to sure. No. No. So the story is we have Walter Mitty, who's a daydreamer. And that's about yes. it. That's pretty much it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but so so I guess I guess we can just kind of transition into talking about the short story itself, the Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Um, what is the reason that he's a daydreamer in that story? Do you guys think? Uh, I think it's basically because he has an unfulfilling life, more or less. It's like ordinary and kind of boring to him. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's represented by the monotonous things he has going on in his life and his overbearing wife. It's kind of crazy and I don't know. Maybe maybe she's also driving him crazy with her overbearingness and nagginess. I'm not even totally sure how overbearing she she is, but I, like from his per- perspective she is. Right. It might it might also be pl- plainly just or clearly justifiable given how uh, distracted he seems. <laughs> right. If, if if he's always daydreaming. Well, it's it's a short short story, and most of the story is taken up by his daydreams. So we don't have a huge picture of his life. Um, to me, like like James said, I think the most obvious thing is he has this wife, which has him you know pretty henpecked. Um, but I'm guessing he's you know also in a unsatisfying job doing stuff that isn't very fun or fulfilling and yeah we know we know nothing about really his life other than he's out for the day with his wife she's getting her hair done and asking him to go shopping a bit right Mm -hmm. and he's stressing a bit about if he's forgetting something right and that's that's where the puppy biscuit thing comes in um, because he pops out of one of his daydreams to say puppy biscuit as because he remembers that's the thing that she wanted (laughs) to pick up that he'd forgotten um and i like that that you know a passer a woman passing by is like, puppy, that guy just said puppy biscuit. <laughs> and yeah, like you said, Colin, it's mostly in his head the whole time. The The biggest clue that I get is at the very end, when his wife is done at the hairdressers, um, his daydream shifts into him facing a firing squad. And uh, oh, <laughs> yeah. so, so right. I'm like, uh, like, ah, oh, yeah, she's going to kill me. He, he, not just that, but but he's resigned to his fate. Oh, well, yeah, that's true. He, yeah. he says to hell with the handkerchief. Right. And flicks his cigarette away and faces the firing squad. Yeah. And for a world-known surgeon, pilot, <laughs> cowboy, deadly dentist, shot, <laughs> yeah. marksman, That's deadly a- marksman, with any yes. weapon. Yes, I, I liked. I liked the bit in the trial when you know, with any weapon, I could have killed him right. at that range from with my left hand. <laughs> <laughs> Damning testimony to make sure you're acquitted. Yeah. Right. So, uh, you know, thoughts on the story, I guess. No, I like I liked it. I thought it was well written and you know it's short, so it's easy to read and get through quickly. Yeah. I suppose. And we will put a link in the show notes because it's available there on from the New Yorker. Yep. I think. Yep, from the New Yorker. Yep. I got it in a enormous volume of uh, Thurber's writings and drawings. 
So I haven't read any of his other stuff, so I don't know how it compares to his other work. Ah, but, uh, right. It's kind of a fun short story. But this is one where I have a long history with the Danny Kaye movie, and I don't even think I knew that it was adapted from a short story until Wikipedia. Probably. How do you have a long history with this movie? So we watched this movie all the time when I was a kid. Oh, okay. Yeah, it, they. I don't know if it was unique to one of the stations in Anchorage, but they played quite a few Danny Kaye films, and so we, we would record them off television. Oh, interesting. And so, right. so we had, you know, The Court Jester, White Christmas, um, which I don't really consider a Danny Kaye movie so much. It's right. more ensemble. But um, we had The Court Jester, we had Up in Arms, The Kid from Brooklyn, Wonder Man, um, and The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. The Secret Life of Walter Mitty and Wonder Man and The Kid from Brooklyn were kind of the big three that we watched all the time. Um, and, and then I guess The Court Jester as well. Gotcha. So the the funny thing is, and I guess we can we can kind of move into talking about the movie. Um, having watched it so many times when I was a kid, you know, I have the whole thing pretty much memorized. I, I was surprised; I hadn't seen it in a few years when we watched it the other day, Colin. Um, and so there were a few things that that jumped out at me as very very funny that I had I had kind of forgotten about. But um, when I started collecting DVDs, I looked for The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, and you just could not find it anywhere. The nineteen forty seven one. Oh, yeah, the 1947 obviously. one. Sorry, yeah, I should have I should have uh, mentioned. That's fine. Um, yeah, I, like I looked for it on Amazon, and you could find it from like resellers for one hundred and fifty dollars. So yeah, <laughs> evidently they had, they had produced a very limited number of them, and so they were essentially collector's items. And so I'm pretty sure I paid like forty forty five bucks or something like that on eBay for it. Wow. I remember when, when you bought it because you were so proud that you only got it for $45. <laughs> oh, really? Yes. I remember I won that auction while I was in Anchorage uh, on, oh on, on sabbatical in like 2004. So, Dang. Yeah. And now the real reason for the podcast comes out. Seth is trying to increase the right. value of his investment. Exactly. Well, the funny thing is, of course, <laughs> if you did dollar cost averaging on that DVD now, um, you could buy it for pretty cheap. Um, because they they, like, as soon as I bought it, uh, new new printings or whatever were made, and so you could get it for like twenty dollars <laughs> from Amazon. Oh. <laughs> <No>. so, <laughs> yeah, uh, it's terrible. Yep. <laughs> but you know, it, it, to me, it was worth it because it's such a beloved film uh, from from growing up. Because we just seriously watched mm-hmm. it over and over. So in this one, you get, I guess this is an interesting example. And Colin, this is something I wanted to talk about. An interesting example of expanding a short story because there's not a lot of story to the secret life of Walter Mitty, the story. Right. The short that, story. that was something I was going to mention uh, real quick before we transition out of the story is I thought that because this was such a short story and it quickly created a, a pretty well-defined character in Mitty himself, I think as a, yeah. as a daydreamer and stuff, it, it laid the ground for creating a much broader story if someone chose to do so. And I think I think something like the short story kind of like this is great for adapting in the film because there's a lot of places you can go with it without necessarily offending the story. Yeah, and so I feel like uh, the way they went in the 1947 film, having him work for a publisher was a great idea because he has obviously this overactive imagination. And that's helpful when reading about sensational murders and hospital love stories and right. – um, I can't remember what the, what all, the whole lineup was they had there. Um, oh, they were classic – Classic Pulp Fiction titles. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so yeah, it's like old science fiction magazines almost. Um, but, you know, all the way across all genres. You know, oddly enough, science fiction didn't come up in their list at all. I, I remember I think, that because when they were talking about 
coming up with the new line that they ended, ended up being hospital romance. I thought it was yeah. totally going to be like I thought it was totally going to be science fiction or something. See, I got the impression that air races might might be their one like with with zeppelins in it and stuff, you know, steampunk or or science fiction. But we never ever see like a poster for that because when when Mitty first comes into work, he's walking through the the whole production floor where there's artists working and there's photographers working, um, and and you see posters for all these different all the different lines that they have, like sensational murders. And th- there was, there was one where there was a guy posting in like a wolfman suit. Yeah. So at a certain point, science fiction stories were monster stories. Oh, uh, movies anyway. <laughs> yes. Aliens are monsters and monsters are bad. Right. Um, but so, so like that part of it, him working in the publishing interest industry uh, really makes a lot of sense for, for the personality that he has. And then the other part of it is they, they make a change when you expand that small of a short story into a film, you're going to put a love story in there somehow. And, and so the, the way they do it is they have him engaged to a pretty vapid girl with an overbearing mother. And then Walter himself has an overbearing mother. And so you, you have like several different kinds of henpecked going on. You yeah. forgot the annoying little dog. Oh yes, Queenie. <laughs> Queenie, who eats with a bib on at the table in a high chair. Yeah, and the boss who is also overbearing and steals his ideas, right. and, and walks all over him. Right, so he's he's an excellent, very kind of repressed character. The interesting thing in the um, the short story is that, like you said, James, he's it's or maybe it was you, Colin, um, said most of the story is in the dream sequences, right? Like he right. seems to very much straddle the dream world and, and the real world. And there's that one, there's one line in there where somebody asks him like, what kind of puppy biscuit do you want? And it said something like the greatest pistol shot in the world casually said, whatever brand it was. <laughs> um, so, so it's like, like he is just in the, his delusions all the time. Right. And I feel like the 1947 film did a good job of kind of having him weave in and out of the, fantasies pretty much all through the movie yeah yeah and it it adds something you know which which i tend to like which is it there's a redemption story involved the, True. the short story presents his life and you know says this is walter mitty he daydreams a lot and his life sucks and the yeah. movie tries to take that situation and then take it someplace yeah the the movie does a good job of showing that you know when walter mitty is is given the chance to do something you know to come to the aid of a, of a damsel in distress you know he's He's there to do it, um, though he's not exactly um, quite all there at the beginning of it because because he meets Rosalind on the train and she kisses him and he just kind of <laughs> sits there like, uh, mm-hmm. that just happened, right? <laughs> um, and then that happens again to him, and he gets so the the, the novelty of the nineteen forty seven film is that you you are introduced to Rosalind played by Virginia Mayo, and she is, I guess, not really heir, but she's um, her uncle is from Holland. And is has been protecting the great art treasures of Holland that were um, hidden away when the Nazis came through. Right. And there's this mysterious figure called the Boot who will do anything to get the little black book that has the location of all the all the great treasures. Das Boots. And yeah, and so so you end up with sort of a, a not quite espionage or spy tale, but something like that out of it. Right. Not sure where to go next because I don't have any notes. <laughs> Colin, do you have notes you want to go over? You know, I just kind of took plot notes as I went through the movie. It's mm-hmm. it's hilariously funny. Uh, I watched it with yeah. Seth over at his house, and my son Tim was there. And you can tell it's a great comedy because Tim will really engage with it, and he has this laugh. And it's the <laughs> laugh he laughs when he's losing control because it's so funny. And he, yeah, where, like, you have to pause the movie kind of laugh. Yes, <laughs> right. Because you can't hear the movie over him anymore. 
Yeah. Um, but you know, he's a Danny Kaye fan, and he loves a good musical. And this is a musical. They they play to Danny Kaye's strengths. Um, right. One of the things that, as I was reading about Danny Kaye and his movies, including this one, is that he has a specialty that he that tends to come up in his movies called the Patter Song. Mm. And Patter is a it's like a musical chant. It, you could consider it a predecessor a predecessor to rap, where right. there's a word on every beat of the song. Mm. Oh yeah, and he yeah. yeah he does that during his uh, RAF pilot fantasy. His old Professor right. Grindwald. Yep. His yes. Professor impersonation. Yeah. Yes. Uh, the classic example of a patter song is uh, from the Pirates of Penzance. It's the uh, modern, major, modern Major General. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. I like that one, too. <laughs> yeah, and then I think the movie's a, a really good adaptation. You know, we, we've talked about this in the past. When you have things that are very small and you want to expand it, you can either take the, the core of it and throw everything else out, like kind of happened with Jumper. Mm-hmm. Uh, or you can have a story like this where they take the really the whole story about a guy having daydreams and then add stuff around it uh, that ties in really, really well. So I thought it was a good add-up. Right. Maybe. That's what I think is great about a story like this is it's so, so, so short, you can take the entire story and just build off of it and not yeah. ruin anything, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And so for this one, they take they take a number of the dream sequences and translate them not quite word for word, but really close. Like the, the hospital one in particular. Right. Yes. And, and then kind of they, they throw out the one where he's talking about, he could have killed a man with his, uh, you know, shooting left-handed and the firing squad. Right. Because those ones don't quite fit the tone of this film. And they have the daydreams just go along with whatever situation he's in. Right. Although in every single one, he's this larger than life, you know, hero character with enormously broad shoulders. And, um, you know, I, I love the Western one, you know, Mitty the kid's in town. Mitty the kid's in town. <laughs> so that's what, that's what makes me think the cause of his day, or at least one of the contributing factors to his daydreams is kind of his, I think he finds himself, his real life boring or like unfulfilling of some sort, you know, because he's always dreaming, dreaming himself bigger than life. Right. And yeah. yeah, definitely feels a little impotent. Right. And I think it, I think it makes for a good story arc in this movie where he grows out of that and at the very end you have him standing up for himself, basically. Yes, punching someone and yeah. getting promoted. He gets the woman he wants <laughs> instead of the mo- one that his mother's trying to get him. Uh, he yeah. gets the promotion. You know, he knocks the other guy in the face because he's kind of a douche. So. <laughs> Tubby Wadsworth. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. The, your your friend that keeps propose, proposing to your uh, fiance, yeah. maybe not a best friend. <laughs> yeah, no. not recommended. I, I like the nod in the movie that they took from the story and used kind of as a recurring uh, a theme throughout several of the dream sequences. And it's it's the phrase to pocket a 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 pocket. Right. And you wouldn't think you could shoehorn that sound into where was it? It was in five of seven of the different dreams, but it's there one way or another. Yeah. Oh, which two did it miss? It wasn't in the Anatole of Paris part, I don't think. No, and it wasn't in well, the wedding sequence either. The wedding sequence. Oh, when when the face swap occurs? Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's a little less of a, a daydream. But right. um, there's an interesting parallel to that in the 2013 one, and hopefully I remember to get back to that. Um, let me make a note here real quick. Yes. Hmm. I will say, uh, since you guys have nothing negative to say about this one, I'll, I'll throw one out for you. I thought of in a few spots it carried on a bit longer than it should have, particularly the uh, RAF scene, the RAF daydream where he was going on with being the professor. 
Oh, are you kidding me? That's a showstopper, man. No, nah, that could have been a skit all on its own. And I'm like, ah, be done already. This is part of a bigger movie. <laughs> oh, you you are watching a Danny Kaye movie, so yeah. Have you ever seen the Court Jester and watched like the the, the Jester scene? No, I haven't seen that movie. No. Oh. Okay. Well, you're going you're gonna to need to watch it. Yeah. Yeah, that is kind of... It, to me, if there's one that, that is removable, it's the Anatole of Paris one, where he's talking about the hat design. I mean, I think it's very funny, um, but it's another extended right. song sequence. And I, I love the, the RAF one. And, and so if I had to get rid of one, I'd get rid of yeah. Anatole. I think, I think a little bit of both would have been sufficient. <laughs> okay. So, James, you're not saying you didn't like that sequence where he's imitating the music professor. You just would have wanted you would have wanted to see it as its own separate thing instead of an extension of the RAF pilot. Um, no, I thought I thought it fit in well. I just think it went on too long, and okay. they, they, it, he could have cut the impersonation or whatever you want to call it shorter. Sure. And us the the same with Anatoly of Paris. Like you could have cut that whole thing a little shorter, and it would have been okay. To me, the reason that one feels long is because you've already seen actual Anatole of Paris talking about his ridiculous hats um, with the diamonds, yeah. the, or diamond bracelets on the top and made of black egrets. Yeah. Well, it, it, it just felt like they were kind of pandering to Danny Kaye, which it's a Danny Kaye yeah, movie, so it's, it's fine, I guess. We've, we've got Danny Kaye but, in this movie. He's going to sing a couple times. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Longer than the story calls for, but hey, whatever, it's Danny Kaye. To me, I mean, you know, I, I get what you're saying there. Yeah. And of course, I can't really agree with it because <laughs> I, I won't say Danny Kaye can do no wrong. I'll just say that he is my favorite entertainer of that era. Sure. You know, I feel like he's probably not as good a dancer as Gene Kelly right. or Fred Astaire. He's probably not as good a singer as Bing Crosby. But mm -hmm. I feel like his combination of, you know, comedy and singing chops and dancing chops, the the whole is is better across the board than, than those other people. Cause like Gene Kelly, yeah, I think I would, agree. I love Gene Kelly, but not a great singer. Right. Uh, uh, Fred, Fred Astaire also great dancer, but not so much a singer. Right. Right. So I feel like he just kind of had the total package and the comedy. Yeah. He, yeah. Like funny. the, the he's pretty funny. funny. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not saying, yeah, I'm not saying the movie's not worth watching. I totally watch it, but it's yeah. just a little long. That's all. Sure. Especially for a 1940s film. It could have been like mm -hmm. little 20 minutes shorter. <laughs> yeah. Well, can we talk about Boris Karloff? Oh. <laughs> nope, wrong podcast. No, no, he is so good. No, I, we did talk about him in, in uh, last year for Halloween, right? Yeah, hey, that's what makes this science fiction. There we go. It has Boris we Karloff. Yes, playing Dr. Hugo Hollingshead. <laughs> I know of a way to kill a man and leave oh, no yeah. trace. <laughs> um, the, the, other, the, the other part I wanted to talk about was there's the two sequences where Mitty ends up out on the ledge. And backing into a meeting where his boss is presenting. <laughs> Twice in and, a row. That's <laughs> pretty funny. And presenting his ideas. Yeah. Walter's ideas. Yeah. And I had forgotten that he went through there twice because the first time he went through, I thought, oh, I, I thought I remembered that the water cooler fell over. <laughs> and I just, so it just cracks me up when he goes back through there and, and he ends up holding it and the, and the boss is just, just about to lose it. Get out, Mitty. Get out. <laughs> I love it. Yes. But uh, Boris Karloff, yes. Definitely... Well used, well deployed in this movie. Yeah. Although that hairstyle of his, very, very strange. <laughs> yeah. Very weird. Kind of slicked down and then flared out at the edges for some effect, which none of us understood. Oh, I one other sequence that, that I want to call attention to is the one where he's trying, you know, he's he's hidden the book in a corset. 
at the department store. <laughs> and, the, and then he gets caught in the dressing room with all the women in corsets, which, of course, is considered scantily clad back then. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, and I'm like, excuse me, is this the hardware department? <laughs> um, and then, then when they go and try and retrieve it, uh, sir, I was wondering if you wouldn't mind if I looked in your wife's <laughs> Yeah, that whole scene where he was going to the other guy's house was pretty funny. And I like that every time uh, Virginia Mayo is on screen, it's soft focus. Yes, naturally. I didn't realize that she was in so many movies with him. Yeah. Yeah, she's, so she's also in The Kid from Brooklyn. She's the love interest in that one. Um, pretty sure. Yeah, she's, she's also the love interest in Wonder Man. And those are both highly recommended, by the way, if you guys haven't seen those. I have Wonder Man. I don't think The Kid from Brooklyn is on DVD, but it is a good one. That's one where he uh, gets into a fight with the heavyweight champion of the world, or middleweight champion of the world, <laughs> and ends up becoming a boxer. <laughs> because he can duck. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and she's also in uh, A Song is Born. Yeah. And that's a good one. That one's got Benny Goodman in it. It's got a, got a bunch of big band in it. Ooh, so, I like big band. That one was one of those ones that I watched when I was a kid and we loved it. And then I rewatched it recently and I'm like, this one's a little boring. But that's okay. I haven't universal, I haven't loved every Danny Kaye movie I've seen. Fair enough. Well, anything else to talk about about that movie? No, I don't think so. I don't know. It was in New York City versus not in New York City. Right. Where, where was the short story set? Waterbury, Connecticut. Oh, it was? Yeah. I was curious about that, too, because in the short story, it it seemed like it could have been any nondescript city, really, because he's in a city going to a department store. That, that yeah. could be anywhere. Um, but what they mentioned in particular was, well, first of all, they're driving, I think it said toward Waterbury or down Waterbury, so I couldn't tell in the story whether Waterbury was the street that they were on or the town that they were going to. Okay. Uh, but then they mentioned the Waterbury trial, and that's that's what made. I looked up that Waterbury trial was actually a thing, and it was out of Waterbury, Connecticut. So, okay. Where in this one, it's set. Um, Walter lives in Perth Amboy, New Jersey, and right. takes the train into New York, to New York City. Yeah. Um, I did. I did like the way they modified the hospital fantasy that it that it stemmed from a meeting about hospital love stories yeah beautiful blonde nurses and then it also brought in all the elements of the shopping list that his mother had given him when when he's doing the surgery right. you know sock stretcher watering can <laughs> uh or choreopsis yes yes <laughs> that was in the story yeah you yeah, know i thought it was Coriopsis funny Choreopsis is yeah. setting in like but that's a flower i don't get it <laughs> oh well fortunately her brother will play the violin again. He grafted new fingers on it. Right. I like the words that he invents in order to try and sound smart in his daydreams. <laughs> Such as? Well, like like uh, James mentioned, right? The core choreopsis, and there were a bunch right. more. And uh, in, the, in the New Yorker story, right. uh, he talked, you know, full power to turret number three. Well, choreopsis. Storm. Yeah. Choreopsis is a real word. It's just not, it has nothing to do with medicine. It's a flower. <laughs> No. <laughs> and using a fountain pen to fix the anesthesia machine. Right. Right. I just no, figured the Coriopsis... Exactly 10 minutes. Yes. Right. I just figured the Coriopsis came from the fact he was supposed to go get Snapdragons. Probably so. Oh, yeah. Good good catch there, James. I, I, I hadn't, uh, hadn't thought to Google that one. Yeah. All right. Well, maybe we should move on then. You want to move on? Yes. To the next right. Faith Watt adaptation. Well, the interesting <laughs> thing is there were several attempts to remake... The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. And at really? various times, I heard that Jack Black was attached. I heard that Jim Carrey was attached. So, you know, and I always... Oh, wow. This is such such a oh, that important movie to my childhood. Um, 
I really didn't want to see it remade. And so when I saw one of my Facebook friends posted the trailer when it first came out, and I watched it, and I'm like, this looks great. Um, so this is one of those ones where I was surprised when I saw the trailer and went, that looks like a really good movie, and went to it and enjoyed it. And, and you know, spoiler alert, I really like that movie. And it, it kind of has everything working against it for me because of my history and my nostalgia for the 1947 film. So I should not like this remake, but I really do. <laughs> well, several several uh, film reviewers tend to agree with you because on Rotten Tomatoes, it's only 50% fresh. Oh, bummer. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. I was going to yeah. say, I, would, I, I agree with Seth. I actually, yeah, I liked it. Yeah, yeah. It, it's I, nice. I, they went back to the original source material. They they readapted right. it, so they didn't try and remake the movie. They they kind of started with the core idea and, and went ahead. Yeah, they took a took a different route, which I thought was good. Yep, they brought several elements from the movie into it. Like you know, he works for a magazine, so he's still kind of in publishing or editing. It's it's more than just the story of a man who has daydreams. There's a whole redemption arc to it. Uh, True. I really like myself. I really like the movie because it is one of those beautifully shot movies I have ever seen. Totally agree. Um, I mean, the, the, the movie is basically a travel brochure for Iceland. Yeah, but even the earlier part, when they're <laughs> overlaying the, the motto for time life on top of the, yeah. the runway and the roads as he's driving through town, it's just, it's a beautifully made film. Yeah, I really like the way they did that, where they integrated the, the beginning credits along kind of his walk to the train. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, and, and I really like the, just the way the movie begins. It begins very quietly, and it's got... Ben Stiller. So this is Ben Stiller playing Walter Mitty, and he's the director as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's dressed very much like Danny Kay was in the original film, you know, with the just kind of not gray, but almost black and white tones to him. He's kind of light blue. Ordinary. Yeah, that's that's what it is, nondescript. Right. right? Yeah. And I like that. I like I love that he's sitting at his computer and he's he's getting ready to send a wink to somebody on eHarmony. And and can't quite pull the trigger on, and he he wanders actually out of focus, and you can still see him back there, and then pr- comes back in and tries to do it, and that is the inciting incident for the movie, in in some senses. Um, well, it's not really; it's just the the inciting incident to introduce a key character, and that's um, Todd, played by Patton Oswalt from eHarmony. Yeah, Todd was funny. <laughs> yeah, um, like you said, Colin, I really like that they kept him in the publishing world but it's set in the you know the transition from print to online and and it's that's a very poignant thing you know about about the the death of these great magazines um that when i was a kid we still had and you know you, you too colin i'm sure you grew up with time and newsweek and national geographic and all those things uh more national but, geographic than the others yeah yes. nat geo nat yeah. geo is awesome and, yeah and and a lot of that stuff still exists but it's it's changing form so I thought that was a, a, a cool way to do it. Mm-hmm. There's no Topakata Pocket Pocketa, and that is a bummer. <laughs> yeah. No. P- part of that is the dream sequences are done quite differently. Right? There there's no obvious transition to dream state most of the time. Right. That's what I thought was really cool about the movie. Is like yeah, there there's there wasn't that clear line between when he was dreaming and when he was in reality. It at sometime at some points it seemed like it was almost real, then all, all of a sudden he popped out of it. Yeah, yeah. I, so I like that first one when he's sitting there at the train station and thinking about what he had seen on um, Cheryl's profile on eHarmony, that she wanted somebody who was, you know, noteworthy, interesting, and creative or something. Adventurous, brave, and courageous. The ABCs. There it is. And uh, and so yeah. that dream sequence ends with kind of him talking to Cheryl and her using those exact words and him using the exact words. <laughs> 
Uh, Kristen Wiig, by the way, plays Cheryl, the love interest, and I think she's terrific in this. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Adam Scott. Uh, Adam Scott is effective as a complete dick. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yep. I, I like that uh, Cheryl refers to him as the beard guy. And so did, I think... Um, yeah, the beard thing is funny. I, to me, it almost looked like it was fake. <laughs> it was <just> really weird. <laughs> yeah. He had a really yeah. weird beard. And it's interesting, too, the, the the bit about being in the publishing industry and being in a little niche of the publishing industry, working with actual film. Right. And having having the... Oh, what's his name? Sean Penn, right? Yeah, uh-huh. Sean Penn. Who's he playing? What What's his character? Sean his O'Connell. Sean? Yeah, Sean O'Connell. Yeah. That's why I was, I was getting hung up on it. Like, <laughs> his name isn't Sean in there, too, right? Where he shoots on actual film. And I like that uh, Hernando, the, the other guy in the negative act, assets group, is like... He still shoots on real film, which inspires in me a man crush. <laughs> <laughs> so what happens in this one? What's, what's, what's the other inciting incident? It's the, it's the negative, right? It's the negative. Uh, you know, Beardman is here to shut down the print magazine and take it into the online age. And they want to have the last print magazine have one of their most popular photojournalists' picture in it. And there's a message sent to them saying you know, that uh, you want to use negative 25 because it's the quintessence of Time Life magazine. Right. And Just a quintessence of life. Yes. Yeah. For the first time ever, uh, Walter appears to lose a negative. Right. And so he's going to go try and track down Sean, who he's never met, mm-hmm. um, and then talk to him and say, well, you know, do you have another copy of it? Can you please save me and my job? Yeah. Uh, and right. on the way, he's trying to strike up a relationship with Cheryl. Um, and then it, there's a kind of a defining moment where he's actually made it all the way to Greenland. And he knows mm-hmm. where Sean is going to be. He's going to be on a, or, or he is on a ship. And the only way to get there is to hop in a helicopter with a, a drunk guy. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, I love uh, that guy. With the drunk pilot. It's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then there's this, this transition scene right there um, where he daydreams Cheryl singing him this song, which she said was about, oh my goodness, what is it? Going into the unknown, right? Courage. And going it's Major Tom. Unknown, I think. Yeah. Space oddity. There's the other science fiction tie-in. Tie in. Yeah, going into the unknown and, and courage, right? And yeah. so he runs and he jumps into the helicopter, and that's where his the adventure starts. And so instead of this crazy sequence of dream sequences, he has these things in real life. Yeah. And that's where, it's, where he starts uh, daydreaming less and less, right? Yes. But, but his, his adventures are almost as unbelievable, where he uh, longboards down a, an exploding volcano in Iceland. And he yeah. fights off a shark in the North Sea and uh, travels to Afghanistan. <laughs> it's not a porpoise. <laughs> yeah. Uh, giving orange cake that his mom bakes to an Afghani warlord. Right. Um, just an incredible set of, you know, in really cool adventures. Yeah. And I, I do like to, like you said, Colin, that at, at first the daydreams distract him from things, right? And. Mm-hmm. And so he'll be in the middle of a conversation and zone out and do the do the daydream, and then later on you start having them be productive. Um, I mean, not really that many of them, but the one Cheryl gets him onto the helicopter. Right. right. That day that daydream gets him onto that helicopter, and then after that, I think he only has one actual other daydream. There's there's one thing that I wanted to mention earlier as he is as he when he gets to Iceland and he's running along that road. Um, or riding along on the bike. Yeah. The one shore bike that he gets away from the, the horny, horny deckhands. <laughs> yeah, the group of, of horny Somali people. Was that what they were? Ch- Chilean. Chilean. No, no, Chileans. Chileans. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Chilean sailors. Um, yeah. 
I, I love it. Stay gold, pony boy, which is from The Outsiders. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that guy's cultural references are like 30 years out of date. Yeah. Oh, totally. It's pretty funny. <laughs> um, but, but as he's riding along, he sees a flock of birds and they kind of form into Cheryl's face. Right. And, and that, that reminds me of the face swap in the previous movie. That's what I had wanted to talk about. Oh, cool. Oh, okay. But then he, I think he only has one other kind of slight daydream, and it's when he gets back to the U.S. and he's in the cab. And he has the kind of daydream that the that Conan O'Brien is on, and he's on Conan O'Brien. Oh, right, right. And he rejects that one. Yes. And 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 says, "Can you change the channel? Can you turn that off?" And then he gets out of the cab. So he's he's done with the daydreaming, which I think is is really cool. Well, after the adventures that he's had, I mean, the daydreams yeah. don't compare to real life. I love the moment when when Walter finally meets Sean. Because because this is something where they've had a working relationship for ages, where Sean feels like Walter finishes his work. He sends him the negatives, mm-hmm. and Walter gets it all put together to include in the magazine. Um, and so they finally meet face-to-face, and he's trying. Uh, Sean is trying to capture a picture of the ghost cat, the snow leopard. And I love that he doesn't take the picture, and, and that, that whole moment... When, he, when he's talking about it and he says, beautiful things don't ask for attention. And sometimes I don't take the picture because if I really like a moment, I just want to live in it, just be in it. And that's, that's something that I totally, you know, it's, it goes against our selfie culture, right? You can't just be someplace. You have to tag your friends and, and check in at various places and take pictures of your food and, <laughs> and, you know, get a selfie with the Space Needle instead of being at the Space Needle. And so, like, when we did our big um, big road trip a few years ago and went to a bunch of national parks, you know, I liked that I did not take any pictures. I just got to just be there, and it was awesome. So, I really yep. like that bit. It's a good message. There were no Tapakadas in this one. True. Yeah. And it's not a musical. And it's really not even a comedy. I mean, there are some lighthearted moments in it. Sure. Um, like the whole part where uh, Walter is showing Cheryl's son the deck tricks on the longboard. And every time in the, in the, in the background, in the background, every time she turns to look at him, he's just standing still. So she completely misses everything that he does for her, for her son. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. She gets it by the end. And, and I really like the way, you know, he was kind of online stalking her at the beginning. Um, not, not really, but you know, he, he was trying to send her a wink and stuff. And I, I like the way the relationship kind of progresses because it makes sense since, she is in like the payroll department or something, mm-hmm. um, or at least she knows somebody there, and so she kind of helps him out. And their their relationship to me seems very believable. Uh, the other thing is like the way the flashbacks work. I think the reason you don't have Tapakata Pakata is um, there's no narration of any of the flashbacks. And I love the narration of the flashbacks in the 1947 film, um, but since you don't, since they're not done that way, it, it I'm not sure it made sense to have a Tapakata in there. I'm not sure how how we, you could have gotten one in. Oh, we could we could sit here and invent one in about thirty seconds. <laughs> I suppose that's true, but that doesn't mean it would have fit well. Yeah. Um. And and you're, you're right, Colin. This one isn't a, ma- a musical, but it does have that moment where Kristen Wiig sings. Um. And I feel like the music in the film is really good, as well as the the visuals and the and the directing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's kind of mystifying me about the about the Rotten Tomato scores because I I feel like this is no question one of the best films of of 2013, but. That's okay. It's right at the end of the year, and you're never going to get awards at the very end of the year. Well, and it's it's pretty understated as a movie. 
Yeah. Right? Um, you, you can sit back and enjoy it. Uh, it's not action-packed. It's not a heavy romance. It's not a huge comedy. Uh, it's, it's a story about a guy kind of getting his life back. Yeah. And, and so this one is different, too, because he's not really repressed. It's just that he had this whole side of his life going. You know, he was going to be a, like a, a skateboarder, right? Yeah. With a mohawk. Mm-hmm. And then his dad passes away. They don't have any savings. And so he gets a haircut and take, gets a job. And and so spends the rest of his life working and supporting his mother and his flaky sister. Yes. And and yeah, so th- this is like his first chance to really go do anything. And I I like the way they, you know, there's kind of a redemption story built into that as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's all about the redemption story. <laughs> they make the best kinds of movies. Yeah, I'm glad they went with a different story arc than in the 1947 film. That would have been different. Uh, disappointing yeah. if they had tried to go with the same kind of story. Yeah, and and that was the thing. Like w- when there were earlier attempts to to do the remake, and and you know I'm looking at Jim Carrey, and I'm like, okay, you know, mm-hmm. he can actually, you know, if you've seen The Mask, you know, he can he can sing a bit, he can dance, he's got a rubber right. face, um, so he could do the same kind of thing. But I don't think it would work the same way as right. it did for Danny Danny Kay. And so going with somebody like Ben Stiller, who can play the kind of repressed guy. Um, and and have it be a little bit of an underdog story, it's it's the right way to do a remake. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I like the action sequence with Bearded Man when they're fighting over Stretch Armstrong. <laughs> that is awesome. That was pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, that's amazing. And as as far as trivia goes, one of the executive producers on this movie, Samuel Golden Jr., his dad produced the original 1947 movie. Oh right, yeah, so it kind of, yeah. kind of stayed in the family. Oh. <laughs> that's cool. He produced a bunch of Danny Kaye films, actually. Like Metro Goldwyn Mayer, I think was the, the company. Oh, wow. MGM. Yep. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah, MGM is Metro Goldwyn Mayer. Oh, interesting. I don't think I ever knew that. You never knew that? <laughs> no. <laughs> After all these MGM movies right. you've been watching? Right. Here, here we are on a movie <laughs> podcast. <laughs> nice. If, if there's one dream sequence I could do without, and like every time I watch it, I'm like, oh, yes, it's this one, right? And it's, it's the Benjamin Button one. Which, it's the most kind of um, baldly comedic beat of the film. And it feels very kind of Saturday Night Live to me, which makes sense. Um, and I still think it's funny, and, and it's, it's pretty minor. Um, but if there's, if there's one bit of the movie that I feel like, ah, that, that bit, you know, if we, if we could do without that bit, the movie would be better. Um, but I still, you know, I still love it. I, I which is why I own it, it on Blu-ray. Oh, you mean the movie? Yeah. So we, yeah. So you don't hate the movie because of that part of it being in there. <laughs> right. It's not like you said you could have skipped the movie, Colin. <laughs> no, no. It, it's just a, a little bit of a, a, a blemish. Right. Which part was it again? The, the part where, where he's talking to Cheryl at the skate park and, and she, um, I can't remember, like her ex-husband is calling her and she's like, maybe you got hit by a bus or something. And and then she comes back and says, he did get hit by a bus, but I don't care. I just want to be with you. Oh. <laughs> and, and he's like, sweet. Just one thing. Um, I got to tell you, I have that Benjamin Button thing. I, I didn't actually see the movie, so I don't know how it works. But which I, oh, that's right, the funniest right. line to yeah. me, actually. Um, because it quite, isn't quite the same as, as Benjamin Button. The, right, right. Um, that's the part I thought I was like, funny is when he said that. <laughs> so I don't know how it works, yeah, but. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I like the way every time it cuts back to him, he looks older. You know, right, it does like three or four cuts, and he's getting older and older and older. But then the yeah. part with them sitting on on the bench, uh, on the on like the porch swing or whatever, is is kind of 
a little ridiculous. Right. But it's okay. <laughs> yeah. It's it's a it's a minor gripe with with what I think is a, a tremendous movie. Right. Well, there you go. So you had mine. You had your minor gripe. I had my minor gripe with the other one. So there we go. Yeah. Yours is wrong. Mine's right. So right. And we can move on. All right. Uh, final thoughts. I got one more thing to throw in. Uh, it was nominated for a Saturn Award, which definitely puts it in the realm of science fiction. Which was? The the 2013 movie. Oh, interesting. All cool. right. Yes, cool. science fiction. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. Score. Uh, no, I didn't know it. Yeah. So we have Boris Karloff um, and the Saturn Awards. So double coverage. Right. Boom. Excellent. Excellent. I'm trying to think if Danny Kaye was in anything remotely science fiction. He was in the Muppet movie. Oh, was he? Yeah. I think I saw that as I was flipping through his page. Hmm. Oh, nice. Uh, Well, we should probably rank them. James, you want to go first? Sure. I'll uh, go ahead and put the story at number one, because it's super quick and easy read. And I'm going to go with the 2013 film number two, and 1947 is number three. Alrighty. Well, since I know that you liked all of them, I won't be offended. Right, I did like all of them. I just uh, I appreciate the story arc in the newer film, but but more than the the older film. Yep, because he's going traveling and all that. And mm-hmm. That's what I like to do. So true, which is why we're recording this early. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what about you, Colin? Are you sitting down? I am. I'm gonna go 2013, 1947, 1939. Wow. Yeah, Boom. just one of those rare circumstances where. Each movie added something really, really good in a different way from one another uh, to a, a really good story. But yeah, I, I think mm-hmm. the movies right. did it better than the story did. Nice. Because I love a redemption story. Well, yeah, right. for you to pick a movie over a, over a written thing takes something. And then right. for you to take a remake film over an original is another thing Whoa. altogether. So that has not happened very often. Is it a remake or a readaptation? Yes. yes. Bring it home, James. Uh, yeah, I would, I, would, yeah. I would argue it's a readaptation, not a remake. I agree. I'm using remake in the broadest term yeah. possible. So In the wrong term possible. <laughs> 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 On that note, I've actually been writing, uh, well, just a couple times. I need to get back and, and, and do another one. Um, over on libertystreetgeek.net, I've been doing um, a blog there called Remake Room, where I talk about movie remakes and, and how to do them right. Yeah, you just don't do them. <laughs> no, that is the, the point is make some room for remakes. Well, no, in in, yeah, in general, I think James is right on. We have not seen a lot of successful remakes. And, yeah. and and I totally agree. But but that doesn't mean that they they're all a bad thing necessarily. It's just they're not usually done well. True. And maybe outside of, you know, Fair hard enough. science fiction and fantasy, it's there's a better chance of doing it. True. Oh, I should also mention that uh, Peter Vonisak of Original Remake had me on to talk about um, the Wrath of Khan and another movie that we won't name because it'll set Colin off. It'll trigger him. And, and, and <laughs> it's Christmas. So be nice. I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes to that one as well. Yes. Okay. So for me, uh, we have three completely different sets of rankings, by the way. Um, awesome. I, I, there's no way that I can rank anything but the 1947 film first. <laughs> of course. Because um, I, I love it so much. And I, I have probably seen it 30 times. Um, and and then I go with the 2013 Whoa. film because... Like, if you pinned me down and said, um, you have to watch one of these today, I would probably put the new one on. Um, that's how much I like it. So, it's a close second, is what I'm saying. Okay. And then, and then the story third. And I enjoy the story. And it, it's, it's just kind of a lark, you know, just, just a bit of a vignette. Mm-hmm. And so, I'm not sure it's fair to rank them against the two films, because the two films actually make it into a full plot. Right. 
I just like the 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 short story was of a I guess it was the right thing to make a movie out of. That's sure. what I appreciated about it is that it set the ground to make a much larger story. Yep. Yeah. Well, uh, I think we're wrapped here, and we do not have anything chosen for January, so we're going to have to figure that out. Fortunately, we have two months to do it. And, yeah. <laughs> That's not usually the case. Well, we should we should look ahead and see if there's you know any popular movies coming out. That's you know something we can what we've done in the past, like we're doing this month for Arrival. Right. Which by the time people are listening to this, we would have already done. Yeah. So. See, time travel on our own podcast. (laughs) It's the magic of editing, people. Okay, well, uh, instead of talking about what we're going to do next, uh, we will not talk about what we're going to do next. (laughs) Ha ha. Good idea. All right. Sign us out. So, uh, we will sign off. And uh, do do look us up on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you listen to us and, and lob us a review if you get a chance. That would be great. Um, thanks, by the way, to Adam Underwood, who said some incredibly nice things about us on, on iTunes. So thank you very much, Adam. And until next time, we'll sign off with a sort of daydreamy Pavement Pounders blessing. May the road rise up to meet you, and may something in your life go to pocket, to pocket, to pocket, to pocket. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Later. Topeka? Topeka da? Topeka, Kansas. That's what what I wrote, isn't it? Hit the button. Okay, Okay. VoIP is off now. Jeez. (laughs) Somebody was daydreaming here. (laughs) Everybody in? Yep. Well, yeah, um, Samuel Samuel Golden. (laughs) Forget it. (laughs) 